Welcome to the PS Editors Podcast. I'm Whitney Arana, Associate Editor at PS, and I'm here with Jonathan Stein, our Managing Editor, and... Hi! (laughs) This week, we are going to talk about taxes, um, specifically the border adjustment tax that has been proposed by Republicans in the United States. Um, We've had a couple of interesting articles uh, on the topic. Uh, One of them was by Michael Heise, who is Chief Economist at Allianz, the world's biggest insurer. Um, And he essentially comes out in favor of, I'm sorry, against this tax, (laughs) very much against this tax. Um, But first, uh, I guess- the winner is La La Land. Oh, no, I'm sorry. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Um, But first, I guess I'll just quickly explain what it is. Um, It's technically called a destination-based cash flow tax. Um, essentially, imported goods and services would be taxed at a rate of 20%, while exports would be subtracted from the tax base, which means they wouldn't be taxed at all. So the idea behind this um, is that it would supposedly improve the U.S. trade balance. You know, this is a big goal of the Trump administration is to, you know, cut down on imports and manufacture more within the U.S. Trump says it's going to be a boon for jobs. Um However, that doesn't, it does, the, the argument doesn't really seem to hold water. <laughs> um, for one thing, probably the most important thing uh, is that it's kind of widely agreed by economists, even economists who favor this, like Martin Feldstein, another of our contributors, um, that it would cause an appreciation of the dollar that would probably fairly quickly offset the the competitive benefits that the tax would provide. Um, so essentially, you know, when you've, when you've got a stronger dollar, it would, it would undermine yeah, the, idea the competitiveness that, of exporters. Yeah, the idea, is, the idea is that if exports become more competitive because of the tax, the dollar's going to rise because people are going to need more dollars to buy more U.S. exports, right? Mm-hmm. And that will eventually uh, uh, balance out whatever benefit um, exporters receive from a tax subsidy. You know what? What Heise is talking about, he rebuts this 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 this, this equivalence that Feldstein uh, draws between a VAT, a value-added tax, and a BAT, a border adjustment tax, because and precisely it's a, it's something that you were that, that that you mentioned. A VAT is a destination-based tax. You consume that product in the in the in the country where um, where it's consumed. A, a BAT is uh, is 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 somewhat different because um, what they're what they're saying is it doesn't matter where the the item the product is uh, is consumed or produced. It's simply it's a cash flow tax. If if a, if a, if a U.S. producer is producing from outside of the country, has a subsidiary abroad, and exports to the U.S. That will it will pay an import tax. So the idea is to um, not only to give a benefit to U.S. exporters, but to also encourage uh, U.S. companies to um, onshore production to bring uh, to bring their um, their production back to the U.S. Whether that's going to uh, whether that's going to be um, uh, economically uh, viable, uh, given other 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 costs, particularly labor costs, uh, is 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 another matter. Um, um, I'll just point out real quick yeah. that also this distinction between the VAT and the BAT, the World Trade Organization also makes it, 
it allows border adjustment only on indirect taxation, which right. is what the VAT is, and not on direct taxation, which would be a BAT. Yeah. Uh, and 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 this is actually one of the one of the uh, you now sort of were stole my thunder. Oh, I because, pulled you forward. No, 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 no. It's it's okay because this is actually what Heiza, you know, uh, uh, one of Heiza's main points is that the problem isn't the absence of of a, of a BAT of some kind of equivalent to a VAT. The problem really is in the in the U.S. Uh, According to Heiser, the that it's uh, the U.S. has an anomalous tax system in that a high proportion, a much higher proportion than other advanced OECD countries, uh, of, of of American revenue, of U.S. government revenue, it comes from direct taxation of corporate uh, corporations and individuals, um, rather than from indirect uh, taxation such as uh, a VAT. We do have sales taxes in the U.S. Uh, at the state level. But they're kind of a hodgepodge, um, and those are those are very much uh, those are geared towards state revenue, not federal revenue. Uh, and in some states, you know, th certain items will be exempted, as they are under a VAT. Clothing, for example, or food may be exempted. Some states have no sales tax whatsoever. Um, so, so, but what what he, what Heiza is pointing to is that the U.S. has no national sales tax whatsoever. Has no uh, no national VAT uh, at all, and and that that is in fact um, uh, you know if you want to do a, a a radical rebalancing of the tax system that doesn't have all of these risky uh, effects uh, risky implications, then this would be the, the way to go. So let's talk about what some of those risky implications yeah. <laughs> are of a, of, of, a, of a BAT. Well, in the show, I mean, so as as we mentioned before, the, the chances are that uh, the U.S. dollar would increase in value. But until that happened, you know, say it took a minute for that to happen, um, this tax, and Nouriel Rabini points this out in an article on the same topic, that this tax would, you know, essentially choose sectors to get these huge benefits. It would be, you know, subsidizing certain sectors and businesses at, while penalizing other businesses in sectors where they just have a completely different... Um, you know, set of inputs and, and structure going on. Well, they've developed so the, their business models on the basis of free trade, of, of open tr open global trade. So you have companies like Walmart, for example. Well, any which clothing built, retailer, basically. Right, exactly. That have built their entire, uh, their entire business on low-cost imports that aren't subjected to any kind of protection. And which are barriers. purchased by poor people. Right. So the so this so, right, exactly. So the distributive effects, the distributional effects of a border adjustment tax are going to uh, be skewed against low income earners who are have become dependent on Target, on Walmart, uh, you know, on low cost uh, uh, imports that that has increased that low cost imports have increased poor people's purchasing power in the U.S. and that will go by the wayside if all of a sudden all imports are subjected to what's being batted around a twenty percent uh, border adjustment tax. Uh, uh, yeah, in. and the whole jobs idea, which Trump keeps advocating this because he says, as usual, that this is going to create huge numbers of jobs. But yeah. if you have companies and sectors that are experiencing this huge new penalty, then it could have the opposite impact. Um, and even, you know, auto manufacturers, for example, in the U.S., they import many of their parts for Mexico. So all of those imports would be subject to this new tax. That can hurt them. It can hurt their bottom line. It can result in the, in the loss of jobs. 
And when you look at and when you look at the labor market, most of most employment is in non-tradable sectors, in retail and services, uh, where any where where you know uh, these costs are going to be um, a higher burden, uh, and and where uh, uh, unemployment could rise as a result. Where uh, the in the sectors where border adjustment tax is a net benefit in export sectors. Employment is is the share of employment is much lower. Uh, uh, these sectors account for a much smaller share of U.S. employment. I think that it's something like, uh, you know, we're down to twelve percent of the U.S. labor force is in manufacturing. And you know, if you if you think that that's you know, rightly where most exports are uh, are, are 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 coming from, um, that's a, a relatively uh, a relatively small gain for uh, for a lot of risk, and the the, the risks go beyond simply dis, uh, uh, the distributional effects uh, in the U.S. Uh, well, you know, many have pointed out that other countries are going to view this as a protectionist trade yeah. barrier. They're going to complain to the WT, the WTO, the World Trade Organization, which has a dispute resolution mechanism, and countries that aren't willing to wait are going to start with tit, tit for tat re, uh, retaliation. Uh, they may impose their own border adjustment uh, taxes, right, or, or, other, or exempting or, exports in some way from domestic taxes. Exa- exactly. So that any any competitive advantage that the U.S. was supposed to get from this um, would uh, disappear uh, fairly fairly rapidly. Um, and you know, and this is especially true, you know, if you when you consider a, you know a, a very large exporter and a, and one of America's largest trade partners, uh, uh, China, you know, Kei Jin at the London School of Economics recently wrote wrote a piece for us, and she has a very telling, uh, you know, a very telling uh, statistic or example that you know a, you know the the kinds of uh, import tariffs that. Uh, that Trump is, is is talking about, you know, could cause China to take all kinds of steps that would be highly damaging. And one, you know, very revealing example, just if if China just switches from Boeing to Airbus, that's 179,000 U.S. jobs gone, mm-hmm. right? You know, and that could that could very much, you know, very easily happen if. Um, uh, if Just the, any disruption of value chains, essentially, ex- which exa- China has the power to do. Exactly, exactly. So, so the question is, you know, why, uh, why are they doing this? And 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 uh, you know, one reason, obviously, uh, and it fits, given that while tr- while Trump has kind of um, taken the Republican Party, you know, uh, in a different direction on trade. Uh, the question, you know, how how has he been able to get uh, Republicans in Congress to go along with this? Now, Republicans in Congress, they had been, you know, the the, the, the champions of, of of free trade much more than Democrats. In fact, when Obama was trying to get the TPP through, the Trans-Pacific Partnership through, he was counting on Republican support much more than Democratic support to get that through. So, how all of a sudden have we gone from the free trading uh, Republican Party to a protectionist Republican Party? And this sort of goes to the wider uh, effort uh, uh, by the Republicans to cut corporate income taxes. And this they view as a way to uh, to finance that. And I think you, in discussing this before, you had a, Feldstein had a, yeah, had a Feldstein figure. Yeah, Feldstein said that it would um, offset about two-thirds of a very large corporate tax cut, which, 
the the goal of Republicans to cut corporate taxes is because the U.S. now taxes corporate profits at 35%, which, as Feldstein points out, is, I believe, the highest in the advanced countries. There are many loopholes, though. This but is, as Heise points right. out, there are tons <laughs> right. and tons of loopholes. And so, and deductions, and yeah. there's, people are not, most of these large companies are not paying 35% on their corporate income in the first place. But anyway, so the idea is that the BAT would offset a huge amount of this huge cut that they're dying to make um, and that it would be foreign companies that paid for it um, and you know because of the the shift in the US dollar exchange rate then you know US consumers would be fine and it would sort of be like a free way to offset this um, and when, what you know what Heise's proposal just to wrap this up what Heise's proposal of a more sort of VAT based system, uh, would do, or one of the things that it wouldn't do, is discriminate between uh, uh, goods that are exported abroad and goods that are exported at home. A destination-based tax means wherever it's consumed, wherever it's made, the place where it's consumed is where is 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 uh, is where the taxes is, is going to be uh, is going to be paid. And uh, and and he thinks that uh, that this is this would have the added benefit, as he puts it, of strengthening incentives for businesses to uh, uh, to invest and and innovate. Um, so we'll see. It looks the, the the tax hasn't been passed yet. It does look like this is one of uh, you know an area of of relatively. Um, broad agreement between congressional Republicans and the Trump White House. Uh, so something like a border adjustment tax is probably going to happen. Uh, and uh, whether that leads to um, uh, to further trade tensions and the possibility of a of a trade war uh, is 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 something that um, that uh, I'm sure Project Syndicate commentators will be uh, watching very very closely. So I think that wraps it up. Uh, thanks very much for listening. I'm Jonathan Stein, managing editor, and I'm Whitney Arana, associate editor. Uh, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud. 